The 2011 Fukushima nuclear meltdown continues to raise concerns over a number of issues that could impact the global marine environment, and particularly the neighboring countries, including and especially uh, for us here in South Korea. Uh, This includes the government's plan in Japan to release radioactive wastewater building up at the crippled nuclear plant into the sea and other contaminants that were emitted emitted from the nuclear plant. There's been a recent study that found the distribution patterns of the toxic toxic metal plutonium and information about the extent and severity of the meltdown. So we're going to find out more about this study. And we're very pleased to have one of the scholars involved in this joining us right now on the line, Professor Rod Ewing, co-director and Um, co-director of the Center for International Security and Cooperation in the Freeman Spogli Institute for International Studies at Stanford University, joining us right now. Hello. Uh, Good morning. Professor Ewing, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, First, with this study, could you tell us how it was conducted and and what the collaboration was? Apparently, it was um, a cooperation among a host of various international scholars like yourself. Uh, Yes, it was. And uh, uh, I certainly want to acknowledge that because it was a pretty uh, extraordinary group of colleagues who worked on this project. Um, The colleagues came mainly from Japan, uh, but also included uh, uh, colleagues from Finland, France, Switzerland, the United Kingdom, and the United States. I want to also emphasize that the The study was led by um, Japanese, uh, Professor uh, Yutsunomiya at the Kyushu University, and his students were really at the core of of this study. Now, there are various aspects to this study that may be a bit technical for myself and and, and our listeners, but first, um, the concerning aspect of metal to uh, plutonium, could you explain how that was formed inside the Fukushima nuclear reactors? All right. The the element plutonium actually uh, grows into the fuel during the operation of the reactor. And as I think most uh, uh, of your listeners may realize, that a reactor involves a chain reaction that relies on the production of neutrons. Some of those neutrons are captured by an isotope of uranium, uranium uranium-238, that, after a series of nuclear transitions, finally becomes uh, plutonium-239. And the number uh, refers to a specific isotope of each of those elements, so that plutonium The longer the reactor runs, uh, the more plutonium uh, there is uh, that builds up in the fuel. And that plutonium is also fissile. That that is, it undergoes uh, uh, fission Mm -hmm. and it's part of the chain reactions so that a substantial amount of the energy generated in a normal commercial uh, nuclear power reactor comes from this, this plutonium. And I understand it. this plutonium was dispersed in the atmosphere miles away from the actual site of the reactors. Is that correct? 
that's correct. Um, in the earliest thoughts on the fate of plutonium uh, during the meltdown, uh, a general uh, uh, approach was to consider the, the volatility, that is, uh, how easily do different elements become vaporized. And an element like cesium is pretty volatile, and so one expected it to um, uh, be ejected into the atmosphere and spread. And the general thinking was that elements such as uranium and plutonium, which are much less volatile, uh, would not be discovered um, at any great distance from the reactor site. What's, I think, important about our study, um, again, led by Japanese colleagues, is that uh, looking at soil samples some kilometers away from uh, the Fukushima Daiichi reactors, uh, it was possible to identify uh, uranium and plutonium intermixed uh, that were, in fact, uh, fuel fragments. And, and so uh, the volatility argument didn't completely hold. Mm. Uh, occasionally, uh, these particles were released and traveled um, uh, further than, than anticipated. I should also say that the the amounts are quite low, uh, so that uh, and these particles are, I I think, very rare. Right. Uh, so that um, it's not. I, I don't want the listeners to have in mind that huge amounts of plutonium have been spewed into yeah. the atmosphere, but rather very small fragments of the nuclear fuel, which contain plutonium. Uh, can be identified by careful studies of uh, the soils at some distance from the reactor. That being said, uh, any potential exposure to this, uh, Professor Ewing, what do we know so far about how uh, plutonium uh, can affect the human body uh, in conjunction with what we already are concerned about with the uh, cesium that you mentioned, which has been reportedly uh, found in the reactors? Uh, right. So uh, it depends for each element or each uh, isotope. Uh, it, one has to look at the type of radiation that's emitted. And in terms of plutonium, uh, the radiation that's emitted is alpha particles, which have a relatively low energy and are not very penetrating. That is, they won't, in, in fact, even uh, pass through skin certainly not through uh, rubber uh, gloves. So the, the exposure in such cases that may cause some difficulty is associated with ingestion. Other isotopes decay and emit uh, forms of radiation that are much stronger and much more penetrating, uh, such as cesium, mm. and therefore they... Uh, pose, I would say, a greater risk uh, simply because uh, you can get a dose right. uh, just by having uh, this material, say, on your hands. We are almost out of time, but I did want to pick up on a point that you've made in previous media 
interviews, Professor Ewing, uh, where you were uh, quoted as saying that one of the biggest lessons to be learned from the Fukushima meltdown has to do with the language that is typically used to describe the nuclear disasters. Could you elaborate on that point? Sure. Uh, among my nuclear colleagues and, and uh, others, it's been common to refer to um, the tragedy of Fukushima Daiichi as, say, uh, an accident. Mm -hmm. uh, but I would distinguish between two types of accidents. Accidents that are just bad luck, you're struck by lightning, um, a bird flies into a jet engine. Right. Uh, those are accidents. But there is another type of accident that really should have been anticipated, could have been anticipated. And in the case of the meltdowns that occurred at Fukushima Daiichi, certainly the geologic setting could have been understood. It was well understood prior to the tsunami. Uh, the seawall then should have been higher. And the auxiliary power, which would have been so important in terms of preventing the meltdown, um, those turbines should have been uh, further from the sea's edge and at a higher elevation so that they wouldn't be flooded out. So I think to say that uh, these meltdowns was an accident is uh, uh, to not acknowledge the deficiencies in the safety assessment and planning that led to the accidents. Yeah, some uh, very important points indeed. Uh, Professor Ewing, thank you so much for joining us and uh, helping us understand this study uh, better. Appreciate it. All right, my pleasure. That was Professor Rod Ewing, co-director of the Center for International Security and Cooperation in the Freeman Spokely Institute for International Studies at Stanford University.